stay tuned for a word from the Lord. This morning is the first in a series of sermons entitled, The Sermons on the Amount. And what my intent is for the next, actually I've got six of them right now, I could have some more before we're through. But my intent is to take some of the important passages of Scripture that deal with money, deal with possessions, deal with our material things, and do an exposition of the text and then help us apply them in our lives this day. Why do a series like this? Well, money and possessions have captivated our culture. I mean, you have to have it to eat, to live, to work, to travel, to study, to have fun, to stay warm, stay cool. You have to have it. And the Bible says a lot about it. There are so many passages in the Bible regarding money, I just need to say I won't be able to cover them all. I mean, it's just loaded with insight and wisdom and principles that we need to be applying in our lives. Also, at this time of year, I think it's always good to stop and evaluate one's money plan. You know, how you're spending your money, what, what your intention is for the coming year. How are you using it? What are, what are your bills? What are your expenses? Where is it going? To stop and evaluate and look afresh at your financial plan. So what I plan to do is look at some key passages from the scriptures, unpack the text, and then apply them to our situation. So with that in mind, let's open please to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. If you have your Bible, I hope you have your Bible. If not, there's a a Bible in front of you in the chair. Matthew chapter 6. This is the sermons on the amount number one, where your treasure is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus said, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. So storing up. Storing up. Now what's treasure? It's interesting looking at the Greek text in this. You know, the New Testament was written in Greek. Most of the texts are in the Greek language. The word for store up is thesarizo. The word for treasure is thesaros. See the similarity? We get the word thesaurus in in our common language today, which means a treasury of words. So if you were to literally translate this text in the Greek, it would be, do not treasure up treasures for yourselves. It's a play on words. Do not treasure up treasures for yourselves. And the picture in the Greek language would be an idea of stacking up, like stacking up coins, the idea of stockpiling or hoarding to keep for for show or for a lazy indulgence. Here he's speaking of the selfish accumulation of things. So what's treasure? It's any material thing you value. It could be money, a house, clothes, real estate, anything like that. Now I think it's important to say here several things what the scripture says about money. First of all, the Bible does not condemn having possessions. I mean, you think of the Ten Commandments, do not steal. Well, why would we not be able to steal if, I mean, because it's somebody else's possession. Do not covet what they have. 
having possessions in the scriptures is not wrong. A second thing, the Bible doesn't condemn saving for the future or for a rainy day. Actually, it commends it in, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. The ant is emulated as someone who we ought to follow the ant's example who stores up in the summertime for the wintertime. Rather, the Bible encourages the believer to work, to work hard, to be thankful for what God provides, and then the joy in it, to enjoy what He gives you. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and verse 4 and 1 Timothy 6, 17. It's clear from the scripture that the Lord wants to bless us with what we need to live fruitful lives on this planet. So when you read this text this morning, don't read it that God wants you to go sell everything and move into a monastery. Okay, that's not what it's saying. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. John MacArthur, in his study of this passage, says this, The key to Jesus' warning is yourselves. When we accumulate possessions simply for our own sakes, whether to hoard or to spend selfishly or extravagantly, those possessions become idols. And that is so true. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Now, in ancient times, wealth was often measured by one's clothing. Actually, some had gold threads that they would actually use in their clothing as a way of making a statement. And we do that too today, right? We dress to make a statement. See, I'm making a statement this morning, right? <laughs> Bishop David Anderson, he, one of his uh, colloquialisms, is he, he says, always dress as serious as you want people to take you. Now, in ancient times, the best clothes were made of wool. And moths love wool. Also, in ancient times, wealth was often measured by storing grain. Now, it's interesting, this word for rust here, brosis, it literally means an eating, an eating. And everywhere else in the New Testament that this word brosis is used, the translators translate the word eating. But here they use the word rust, which is a form of eating. But it seems to take a similar meaning here in the sense that grain was eaten by mice, rats, and insects. And and if you had a lot of grain, you had to protect yourself from that. Jesus' listeners would have understood that meaning. But they also in that day had silver, some did, and some metals, and they would know what rust would do. In ancient times, people would often hide their treasure in a hole in the backyard. Remember the parable of the great pearl, the pearl of great price? What he, what he found it, what did he do? He went and hid it and dug, dug it a hole in a field. Well, that's how they'd protect their things. The word here for thieves break in literally means dig through. And so it could have been referring to digging through the mud sides of the house and, and stealing or digging up the dirt in a field where someone had hidden their treasure. The point's the same. It's easy for us to hoard our treasure where moths can eat them, rust can ruin them, and thieves can break in and steal. Now the message translates this verse this way. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. Now here... Jesus is going after materialism 
and greed, which so easily entangles the followers of Jesus. John Stott wrote it this way. He said, Worldly ambition has a strong fascination for us. The spell of materialism is very hard to break. And it really is. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, Wherever the gospel is taught and people seek to live according to it, there are two terrible plagues that always arise. And this is kind of scary. False preachers, which corrupt the teaching, and then Sir Greed, who obstructs right living. Now in our time, we try to protect our treasure with mothballs, mousetraps, rust-proof paints, burglar alarm systems, you know, to keep everything safe. But still our treasure evaporates because of market drops, foreclosures, bankruptcies, inflation, devaluation of the dollar, and economic recessions. Treasure your treasure for heavenly purposes. Then you can never lose on your return. Now let's look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will always follow where your treasure is. Now Jesus is not saying here that if we put our treasure in the right place, then our heart will be okay. No, really what he's saying is... that where we have put our treasure is an indication of where our heart already is. Does that make sense? He's saying that where we put our treasure is an indication of where our heart is currently present. So what does your check register reveal? What does your bank statement say? Apart from your food and shelter and transportation and providing for your family's needs and your needs and helping other people in need, where's your money going? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I was thinking about this and I was reminded of the building of this building that we live in right now. We needed to raise money to build it, although we we do have a a partial loan on the building. But in that process, I remember a man selling his Corvette and giving the money to the building. That was $30,000 or $50,000. I don't know what it actually came to. Why did he do that? Because his heart was in kingdom business. Six of us ended up putting our houses up to be mortgaged because the banks were saying, well, you're a new church. We're not going to lend money to you. We don't know if you're going to default on it, so we've got to have some collateral. So six of us put up our houses so we could get the construction loan. I remember a family selling a piece of property and giving the money to the building. I remember one family giving up their vacation that summer. And they gave that money to the building. For another family, they didn't go out to eat for six months and use that money for the building fund. Now, they weren't enticed to do that or told to do that. We didn't demand them to do that. Their hearts were in kingdom business. So their, their treasure went where their heart was. Are you with me on this? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where is your heart today? Let's look at verse 22. This section I've entitled, Looking In, verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now these verses in themselves, or by themselves, make some interesting points about eyes, and about light, and about the body, and about darkness. But when you take these verses in context of where they are found, after verses 19, 20, and 21... And before verse 24, which deals with God and mammon, we must consider that they have something to do with money, or at least raise that possibility. So if you bear with me a minute, I'm going to try to help you see how this deals with money. In this text, the eye is an expression of the heart. It's not uncommon in the Old Testament that the eye and the heart were used synonymously, or as synonyms. For example, in Psalm 119, verse 10, I seek you with my whole heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. A few verses later, verse 19, I fixed my eyes on your commandments. They're used synonymously. One's heart is the eye of the soul. One's heart is the eye of the soul. It opens every door to every blessing and spiritual experience we have. To God's love, His peace, His truth, His life, every blessing. The heart is the eye of the soul. And if the heart is pure, that is, the eye is good or clear, then the whole body will be full of light. Now, this word translated good, if your eyes are good, hapalus, it can mean clear. The King James Version translates it single. The idea of a good eye, a clear eye, a single eye. John MacArthur writes, an eye that is clear represents a heart that has single-minded devotion. An Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, wrote, Singleness of purpose is one great secret of spirituality. You know, the single eye, the focus, a good eye. Now, good here can also be related to words like generosity, as it's used in James 1.5, or liberality, as it's used in 2 Corinthians 9.11, implying that if our heart, represented by the eye, is generous, good, then our spiritual life will be filled with spiritual understanding and light. If, however, though our hearts are filled with materialism and greed, they become blinded, and you're unaware of spiritual concerns. Now, the word here for bad, where it says, if your eyes are bad, it's the word poneros, and it means evil. The King James Version actually translates the word, it uses it, evil. Now, in the Greek Old Testament, that's called the Septuagint. Remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and it was translated into Greek, and so they called that the Septuagint. Whenever this word poneros was used, they translated the word evil eye. Evil eye. And, and that was a Hebrew idiom for the Jewish people, which basically meant stingy. Stingy. You have an evil eye. Well, you know, we say you've got an evil eye today. It means something else. But back then it meant you're stingy. If a man's eye is bad, that is his heart stingy and greedy and materialistic, then his spirituality becomes blind. And if he becomes spiritually blind, he has no ability to see or recognize the light, or true light. And then what he thinks is light is really not light at all. And because of the self-deception, how great is the darkness that he has. Now, I, I know I've just led you on a wild thing. So here's the Foley Beach paraphrase of these verses okay 
Your eyes reflect the heart and soul of who you are. If your heart is generous, you will have the ability to see and understand the light of God's kingdom. However, if you have an evil eye, that is, you're stingy and greedy, then you will become self-deceived, not understanding or seeing reality. And when your eyes don't show you reality, you are headed for a great fall. So looking in, what do the eyes reveal? What do your eyes reveal? And then bowing down, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. So you'll either serve God or you'll serve money. Now money can mean your things or materialism or the goal of having all those things. You'll either serve God or you'll serve money. Now it's interesting, God blesses us with money to serve Him, but we end up serving money. Money's supposed to serve us, but we end up becoming enslaved to it. It's supposed to serve us for our needs and for our families to to eat and to be clothed and, and to have the things to do that we have to do and to help other people. But all too often it becomes our God. You cannot serve both God and money. Uh, The message translates it this way. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. Now Jesus says this text in a different way in a parable that he gives. It's called the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. Just listen to this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He said to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, we at Holy Cross, we don't beat folks up about money. We're not always talking about money and the money this and money that. We don't do that because if your heart is in the right place, then your money will be in the right place. In 1901, the steamship The Islander set sail from Skagway, Alaska. In the midst of the Klondike gold rush, the Islander was taking passengers back from Alaska to Victoria, British Columbia. At 7.30 p.m., she set sail with 180 passengers and crew and was loaded with gold, which many passengers had found in their prospecting efforts. I mean, they'd made it big and they were going home. One report said there was over $3 million in gold on board, and that's in 1901 dollars. Okay, so that's a lot of money. At about 2 a.m. in the morning, the ship hit an iceberg or an uncharted rock that they didn't know about. 
creating a gaping hole in the bow of the ship. In 20 minutes, the 240-foot ship sunk to the bottom, killing more than half of the passengers and crew. Some eyewitness accounts said that panic ensued, that many men rushed past women and children, knocking them out of the way so they could get a lifeboat. Some lifeboats were launched with only 20% capacity, leaving many folks to brave the icy waters any way they could. Those with gold on board lined up at the bursar's office trying to get their gold. And most were still in line as the ship sunk, taking them to the bottom. Others, it was said, tried to load down their pockets in clothes with gold that they'd had in their rooms before jumping into the water to swim to a nearby island. Needless to say, the weight of the gold took them to the bottom. You see, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And I'm afraid that for so many so-called modern-day believers, the weight of our treasure is going to take us to the bottom. Uh, Many could profess that it already has. I really believe that God, this may surprise you, could really care less about our money. He's concerned about our hearts. You see, our hearts are not pure or clear before the Lord, and our treasure has been put in the wrong places. If your heart is in the right place, then your money will be in the right place. But sadly, too many of our hearts are filled with greed, stinginess, fear, and envy. Your treasure has become your God. Now this past week, I want to ask you just to be honest a minute and think about this. During the past week, did you think more about the Lord? Did you think more about the Lord this past week? Or did you think more about your possessions, your paycheck, your bank account, your IRA? What did you think about the most? See, because what you think about the most is your God. That's what your God is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Where's yours? Where's yours? Hi, this is Foley Beach, and I want to say first thanks for listening to a word from the Lord today, and I hope this program has ministered to you. Uh, we are so grateful that you're listening, and I just wanted to ask if uh, if this has spoken to you in any way, if you just let us know. Uh, send me an email or write me a letter. Jeremy will have that information in a few minutes. 
Uh, but also if you've got questions or if, if there's something about your spiritual life you've been wondering about and you just need somebody to uh, to talk to about it, feel free to send a letter. And either uh, me or, or someone who's skilled in the area that you're asking about will, will send you a response. But again, thank you for listening, and I ask the Lord to bless you this day. If you would like to get a copy of today's message, write to us at P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Or you can order online at awordfromthelord.org. If you have any comments or questions, you can email Foley at foleybeach at awordfromthelord.org. For everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.